Welcome to the Oakcrest podcast channel. Oakcrest School in Vienna, Virginia challenges girls in grades 6 to 12 to develop character, faith, and leadership potential to thrive in college and throughout their lives. In this podcast, Oakcrest chaplain Father Jerry Kolf speaks to fathers about how dads can inspire faithful daughters through their own unity of life. He discusses the necessity of destroying negativity and pessimism as a step towards developing a relationship with God and also shares how a father's spiritual life can influence that of his children. So I was just down at, at Longley with, I don't know, are, do you, are there any senior dads here? There you go. Okay, so I was just with your daughters. It's awesome. Um, came back. Um, and I was talking there with our head of school, um, and I promised her that I would really underline a couple of things with you guys. Um, so in the course of, uh, I've given this talk now, it's uh, making a circuit with it. Um, but I would have to say that the most important group for me to give it to is you guys. Uh, because what, what all of the studies, the CARS studies over the years, they've been churning out these surveys for decades now, and the one fact, the, the one correlation that remains steady is that the one determinant um, element whether or not a Catholic is going to remain a Catholic through his or her university years is whether dad practices his faith, has a life of prayer, basically that that is the one determinant. Uh, women we can blame for other things, but this is, this is a, you know, one is the one determinant on whether a child is going to have a, have, be an optimist or a pessimist is whether mom is an optimist or pessimist because the kids as they're growing up young will see the way mom reacts to everything and that's what they emulate. Now, the beauty in that is that it proves that optimism, pessimism is not genetic, and so it can change, right? It's just social conditioning. And with effort, we can swing that around, which is an, moves me into the next point that I really want to underline with you guys is that um, if there were one thing that I would love for you to take to heart is just the necessity in our day and age to destroy negativity and pessimism. So it really, uh, it just has to, it, that destroys the chance for anyone to um, develop an interior relationship with God. And I'm going to be hammering that one a couple of times during this presentation. Um, there's just really no room for negativity if you believe that you're a child of God, period. So that's summary of a couple of things that are going to be coming up inside this. Um, so the whole uh, idea really centers around, it's not a negative kind of a thing at all that I plan to present. It's a very, very positive, uh, we are trying to move from column A, which is all little letters, into column B, which is all caps. It's God wants us in the all caps, and God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He, he loved the world. It's not bad. It's great. God looked at the world, and he saw that it was very good. It was, there's no, he's not kind of hedging on it. He's saying, no, it is very good. It's awesome. In fact, it is the means that we have in order to be able to know him and to be able to, to develop, to prove and to, to grow our ability to love 
others and to love God, right? So it's, but he wants us to be able to, to experience life, to, to experience love, to, to be real and, and to become, right? He doesn't want us to get stuck inside the little world. Uh, this is, if you have never heard, it's a mom song. Uh, the mom song, uh, it, definitely you have to YouTube it and, and watch the video. Anita somebody or other, is, she does this. It's all to the 1812 overture, you know, get up now, get up now, get up out of bed, wash your face, brush your teeth, comb your sleepy head. I mean, it kind of goes through the whole thing. And it's just this, this an unending list of just kind of the, 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 the commands that mom is giving through the day, all the way through, right? And it is, it's an extremely beautiful parody of, of momhood right? And we recognize it for what it is. But one of the, the other parodies uh, of the interior life is this idea that, um, Roger, I'm going to take this thing off this thing. Do you mind that? I can, I can do that. You're not going to get upset with me. Not that one. Uh, I, I will survive. I have to wander a little bit. Um, oops. So one of the things that, that, that I've been in Opus Dei since my high school years. I joined Opus Dei as a junior in high school. And so I love Opus Dei. I'm every, I mean, you know, I'm all in. Don't worry. <laughs> but there are a number of things that I see that I've been able to look at over the course of the years, and now I'm in my dinosaur years, I can look back and, and see, oh, yeah, you know, this is what... And we get into kind of a, a, a certain... We get so familiar with some things that we make presumptions that people understand what we're talking about in a bigger context than they really do. And one of the things that we, that we are always erring on is this idea of a plan of life. And we, we use that term as kind of, you know, okay, these are the things that these are means in, in developing a relationship with God that are, have been found to be very helpful over the ages. And so, you know, you might want to incorporate these things into your life. And for a member of Opus Dei, this is the full plan of life. In parody, this would be a parody of a plan of life. Because the plan of life is the plan of life is a means to attain a relationship with God. And a relationship is not something that can be set into a bunch of things to do. So I have I have a number of times I've sought out uh, software engineers to there's this app out there called the St. Josemaria uh, app. And I've been looking for a software programmer to develop a virus that searches and destroys all St. Josemaria apps. Um, I haven't found anyone to do that for me yet. But the reason is because in that St. Josemaria app, there's this thing called a norm sheet. And it has the plan of life down there. And you can go down there and you can check it. Check, 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 check. And, and the members of Opus Day they feel really good. They get down to the end of their day, and they, and, they, and they see it, check, 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 check. Okay, I'm done. Say, no, you're not done. I mean, you're not, you're not done loving. I mean, it's kind of going up to your wife and just kind of saying, hey, listen, honey, you know, I've said I love you five times. I'm done. Say, well, no. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. It's, it's the plan of life is just to be, I mean, the, the, this is, there's this other part of the plan of life for a member of Opus Dei, which is these always norms, right? And that's oftentimes just forgotten about because it's hard to keep track and there's no accountability for it. It's kind of, you know, but that's where it gets into this idea that there's a huge, huge difference between somebody who teaches and a teacher. And you guys know exactly what I mean as soon as I say that. There's somebody who, who gets up there and just kind of, you know, gives all the data, who can, you know, lecture and give, that's fine. But it's not a teacher. 
I mean, a teacher is somebody who's going, who's getting in, who's getting into the mind and heart of every single one of the students who knows each one of them in a relational kind of way that allows them to be able to see what is the best way for me to get this idea that I have in my head into their head in, in a real way such that they can, they can draw on it, not just spit it back to me, right? There's a huge difference between somebody who, who, who generates children and raises them to adulthood and a parent. A, a huge thing, right? And again, somebody can, you can have children and just kind of, you know, and, and there are lots of, there are lots of children that reach, that reach, that reach bodily maturity but do not have, that are not the fullness of, of, of who they should be because they haven't had the parent that has given unconditioned love to them for them to be able to recognize what unconditioned love is. So there's a huge difference. And there's a huge difference between a person who prays and a prayerful soul. And this is where we want to move to. Everybody needs to be all throughout our life, and I'm working on it, right? I mean, I can genuinely say I have gotten to a point where I am working on it, at least, right? But this is important, is to recognize the distinction that there is a huge difference between somebody who prays, who does that list of things, that list of commands, so to speak, that, that list of norms, and the, and the, the person who realizes what it, what's behind it is that I develop a relationship with God such that I'm always in communication with him, that I'm always at prayer, that everything I'm doing is my psalm of praise to God, that there isn't a single moment of my day where I'm divorced from, from my love of loves, that that is the one master, that is the one, that is the one, and, and, and this is what your daughters have to see in you, is that you are madly in love with, well, with your wife, certainly, but with God. And with your wife, then, unconditionally, precisely because of your love for God. So even if she goes off the rail, and turns into a, a, a you know, kind of a, a, a maniac. Your love for her is not diminished in any way, right? Because it's still the will of God for you to have her as your wife and to love her unconditioned. And they, your daughters need to see that in order for them to be able to have the channel opened up for them to be able to build that kind of relationship of love with God. Um, so. The difference between those categories is just is this idea of one master, and it is what what the gospel tells us very beautifully, and our our Lord tells us very beautifully. It's just that that no one can serve two masters. Period. There's just no way to do it. The heart wasn't made to be divided. Love isn't something that can be divided. Thank you. Love isn't something that can be divided. And in fact, I was telling the girls today and, and yesterday in the two different groups that were there, I mean, it was actually kind of funny. On Friday, I was with the juniors, and one of the, the last class of the day, or about the last, and there was, it was a smaller group then, and we were in a seminar room, so it, there were, I think, six of the girls were there. And, and I said, I mean, does any, do any of you know what stress is? And there were three of them that go, yes! <laughs> just kind of at the same time. And you could just see in their face, I mean, they were, they were, they were just, they were, they were stressed out at the idea of being, knowing what stress was. But stress is, stress is nothing more than a divided heart. It's a symptom of a divided heart. That if we have one master, there's no stress. If we have one love, there's no stress. Come what may, there's no stress that's there. Because it's just, I mean, fine. I mean, I, I, I can express my love for God in, in, you know, I tell people that when the, when the Chinese take over and when communist Chinese takes over, I can still love God, right? I mean, I, you know, okay, it would be a different way of doing it. It would be kind of an interesting, it'll be interesting adventure. But hey, you know, I, it's, it didn't, throw us for a loop if we've got one master. What happens is that we end up dividing our heart and then the heart gets yeah, 
out there and in a couple different directions, and then we it gets it gets pulled and, and tugged, and we say, "Ouch!" You know that's stress. Yeah, that's stressful. But if we get down to one master, there's no there's no there's no problem. That's what authentic love really is. It's just that one master. It's an one unconditioned master of my heart, and that's what a prayerful soul is going to be. If, if we don't have one master, then we're going to end up with this compartmentalization of life. And we end up then having the parity of life. The, the little, the, all the things that have to be done, 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 done. And we get overwhelmed because, quite frankly, we can't do everything that needs to be done, right? There's always going to be room for more things to be done. But there's only one thing when there is one master. So Christ is very interesting to, I mean, Christ is, is the teacher. And so Christ knows exactly what we need to hear. And what Christ tells us all the way through the gospel is he doesn't tell us to do anything. He tells us to become. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. To those who do believe, he gave the power to become children. And that's an interesting one, because we say, you know, when I get baptized, aren't I a child of God? But that's not the way that Christ talks about it. That when we are baptized, we, sure, we have that, we have been brought into the heritage of the children of God, but we have to be growing in, we have to be growing in that love. We have to be growing in, we have to, we have to grow into our heritage as children of God, right? We are becoming what a child of God really is and finding the expressions of that love for God. Unless you become like little children. <laughs> when you get to be a certain age, you realize that it's all downhill, right? Back down to childhood. Um, God will get us there, willingly or kicking and screaming, right? But we are, in order to get into heaven, we've got to be childlike. We've got to be simple. We've got to, we have to come back to just one thing that matters, right? I can remember one of my episodes in Knott's Berry Farm. I remember it perfectly well. I, I, one of my childhood traumas, one amongst many. But... You know, when you have 10 kids in the family, there's, and, and four boys right in a row, Whew, we had lots of them. But one of them was Knott's Berry Farm in California. I, you know, I don't remember how old it was, probably five or something like that. And I got lost. I mean, I got separated from the pack. And so I just remember realizing I was alone and just started running and screaming, you know, mom, dad, kind of just, you know, just, but I mean, running full tilt all through the farm, all through the, the zoo. It's kind of a, a zoo thing. And, and, and people, you know, I mean, everybody, I, I was looking everywhere and there was finally a policeman there, a security guard that, that caught me. And I just remember kicking and screaming and, and he was just trying to take me to where the lost and found was. Um, and, but I, you know, as a, as a kid, I didn't, that was the last thing. I was just, you know, this guy was in, so he puts me down on the ground when mom and dad are in sight, and I go running over to mom and dad, and dad's kind of apologetic to the police and says, you know, sorry about that, we don't teach our kids to kick police, and he says, oh, don't worry, I understand. Um, but it was just that, it, I, it's totally crystal clear that there was just one thing on my mind. <laughs> it was just one thing, and God is going to get us back to that, just to that one thing, one master. It can be, the, and that's, it just has to be. Um, for this reason, man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It doesn't say, and they'll get married. That's a thing to do. Okay, well, you got married. All right, fine. It's, we're going to become. There's a process that, that all of you guys recognize this. It, it does, it, you, haven't, you haven't reached the full maturity of love just because you got married, right? There's, it's a, daily exercise of growing in love for your wife and growing in love for your family and, and seeing the richness and in so many different ways, right? Um, you have to become, it's just, I mean, every place you look is what, that's what he, Jesus speaks about, he speaks to us to, to focus on becoming. So to become the shepherd of the family, to become uh, again, going back to the surveys that are there, if, if the father, the, 
if the father is the spiritual head of the family, the kids will have a great chance of persevering in their faith through their college years. If not, it's 50-50. It's crapshoot, even amongst the greatest of families. If dad is not pulling his weight as the spiritual head, if he doesn't have a relationship with God, and the kids will pick up on it, they know. <laughs> they know. So we measure love <clears throat> in the unity of life, the unity of mind and heart. It's the two become one is a very beautiful description of what has to be, of what's going on there. And, and there is, all of us have just one heart, all right? We, we don't have a heart that we give to your wife and a heart that we give to God. We don't have a heart that we give to the children, a heart that we give to, the, no, there's just one heart. And all, everything follows exactly the same rules. And the loves of this world are there precisely to train the heart to be able, following the same rules, to love God. So it's always, we're always going to be able to look and see what, is it, what are the rules of love in the world, and we know then the rules of love with God. It's just, we can always go that way. And you look and you say, the two become one. Jesus talks about it when he, he talks about us, that they may be one, even as we, Father, are one. You and I and I and you and they and us. It's kind of the whole, God wants us to be in him. He wants us to participate in his divine life, which is a mystery. But it's, it, even the little bit that we glimpse is awesome, right? But there needs to be that unity of mind and heart. We, and Well, that means what? With, with respect to God, we can either... Bring God to heal and tell God, okay, well, listen, my will is this, so, you know, get in, get your act together, right? You know, come down to my will. This is my plan. This is, this is where we're going because this is my plan. Or we become another Christ. Exactly the same thing with your, with your wife. You can bring your wife to heal. This is my, this is my plan and I am the head of the family. So you get on board, kid. Or the two become one, right? So it's all of the energy of the will is really going to be directed toward the good that is contemplated by the mind. The way that this operates is that the, our heart was made to be presented with the good by the intellect. So the intellect identifies the good, and the intellect presents it to the will, and the heart reaches out to it. That's where the energy comes from. When people say, I didn't have the willpower, no, you didn't love enough. It's, that's, that's really what it is. It's just that the heart, when we love, there is a capacity there, there is a capacity, there's an energy. So. The love, love is the only ingredient, it's the, it is the energy, it is, it's, it is the creative force. I mean, God, God is love, that's all he had to work with. And look what he could do, right? So we, we liberate energy by loving. But what happens is that the that original sin comes in there and the emotions can get flipped and charged and, and they can direct the good, they can derail us and we can go chase after a partial good, a little thing that's there. But the object, uh, the object of our prayer is to contemplate the good, right? So one of the most common mistakes in the interior life. And it is, it, this is where we get into the whole negativity thing. Um, it, this is destructive, totally destructive, is for us to go into our prayer and turn it into a therapy session with God. Oh, these are all the things that are happening. I mean, my life is a mess. Look at what I'm doing wrong. I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing that wrong. I'm doing this other thing wrong. My wife, poof, I can't even begin to tell you all the things that she's doing wrong. I mean, then my kids, my kids, and my kids are derailing over here. My kids are derailing over there. They're derailing. My boss is all, my boss is out of mind. My boss is going over here. My boss is going over there. He's just piling on more and more work and more and more work and all of it. And so, what's happening to our heart? Well, our intellect is contemplating negativity. 
and our heart then is it's, it's trying to grab you know it's kind of but it's you know you're down in the mud and so it's kind of, and the heart's kind of and you kind of say you know you get done with your prayer and you say that wasn't very uplifting and then why do I go pray if all I'm going to do is just beat myself up and what we do in our prayer is we look at Christ Fine. He asks us to. He tells us to ask for things. Fine. We let him know what our what we prefer. But what we do in our prayer is we look at we look at what is beautiful. We look at at Christ's magnanimity. We look at Christ's friendships. We look at Christ's generosity. We look at Christ's industriousness. We look at we look at Christ's ability to love and all kinds of different friends and people and his understanding, his openness. We look at, we, I mean, page after page inside the gospel is just one really neat dude to contemplate. And we contemplate that and, and it gives our heart something above ourselves to reach to. And our heart opens up that energy to go to to become something greater, to lead us into something more beautiful. It's uplifting in a very real way. That's the object of our prayer, not the negativity. The negativity we should throw out the window. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, St. Teresa, Teresa of Avila says exactly the same thing. That she, the way she says it is, it's... Um, it's yeah. I think it's pretty much what this is. It doesn't make any sense to contemplate our woes with God. I mean, our our miseries with God. I think is the way she says it. Um, <laughs> this is another one of my. This is this is one of my rants on on the Opus Dei um, members of Opus Dei. So the members of Opus Dei. These are things that Saint Jose Maria uses all the time. Whoops, whoa, what happened there? Come back. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so. These are phrases. These are phrases that Saint Jose Maria uses, and but then again, you know, the members of Opus they just throw them out, just like you know, kind of, you know, contemplative in the middle world. Say, do you realize how awesome that? I mean, do you realize just what you said? I mean, you know that that we can be as contemplative as a contemplative nun in her in her convent, we can be a contemplative in the middle of all the craziness of the world. Do you believe that? I mean, do you, do you understand what, he, what he's saying? And do you believe that? Because that's exactly what the vocation to Opus Dei is all about. That's what the Christian vocation is all about, is to find that way to sanctity in and through the middle of the ordinary things. But that's not a little thing. That's not contemplative in the middle of the world. I mean, this is, this is what he seems to kind of look at it and say, whoa, Dude, I mean, you can't, it's, it's, um, you can spend hours just looking at that and, and talking with God about just the, the grandeur of what he's inviting us into, right? And all of these are that same idea. You know, he talks about becoming other Christ, ipse Christus, Christ himself. What? I mean, you can't just casually throw that phrase out there. That's one of those, I mean, that's, it's mind bogglingly beautiful. Um, so why the relationship thing with, with God? Well, because if we don't have this relationship with God of the real fire of love, then we can't transmit it. And God limits himself. God limits himself through us. He is going to bring the light into the world only through us that Christ is the light of the world. We are members of the mystical body of Christ. And only to the degree there that we are connected with the light will we be able to bring the light. And there are so many souls right now that are pounding themselves into walls because there isn't the light. So, and, and the kids, I mean, it's... I, you know, I mean, it hurts sometimes seeing the spiritual dryness in souls of, of kids. It just, because, I mean, I know exactly, I mean, I have a good idea what, what our Lord was talking about when he was, when he, he says that, that, that they are like sheep without the shepherd. And he looked at them with compassion and he, and he would love to have done more for them. But, 
but he was limited there to work through his his shepherds um, you with your children that you you are your your children's shepherd like it or not that's where you are that's that's the place right um, so it is the formula for for real authentic love that we we um, if we love God then we will, united to God, we will love as God. <laughs> so when Jesus tells us there, gives us the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, it is possible to do that. In and through the mystical body of Christ, which we are members of, it is, we identify ourselves, we are grafted to the vine. Beautiful image of the, of the grafting of the vine, right? I mean, the, where do the grapes grow? Only on the branches, right? So it's a beautiful image there of how God is limiting his work to us. That if we are not grafted to the vine, we will not bear fruit. But that means that there will not be fruit. Because God has chosen to limit himself according to our correspondence to the grace there. That, that if we are not tapped into the, into the vine, then there will not be the fruit. But if we do, hey, wine is good. I prefer beer, but what, you know, in heaven there ain't no beer. That's why we drink it here. Anyway, um, sorry, that's going into the, that made it into the, Tape recording. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. All right, it's, um, he He wants the, the the fire of the Holy Spirit. He wants to to pour into our hearts. That's what grace is, right? Um, and the size of the vessel matters. Um, so this is where the engineer in me comes out. So a picture a heart. The heart is this castle, right? And you can, one way that you can look at human, the human person, the nature of man is to say that there are things in the nature of man that we do in an autonomous way, like breathing and beating of our heart. And there is also a way where you'd say that it's more kind of disc discreet, where there's the packages and tasks and things like that. Another way of being able to kind of look at human nature is to be able to say that there's a spiritual side and a material side to the human person, so it's great. So that defines then our four walls. We say, okay, so we're gonna take these two walls that are gonna to correspond to the, to the automatic, kind of the beating of the heart kind of stuff, and these two walls are gonna be corresponding to the tasks, um, to the appointments, that kind of thing. These two walls are gonna be the spiritual side, and these two walls are gonna be the corporal. Because it's the whole person, right? The whole person has to in, be engaged in this. Not just spirit or not just material. So this is where the members of Opus Dei will always point to this, the plan of life, right? It's always, but that's just one quadrant, kids, right? That's just one quadrant. There's three others. Count them. That's what quadrant means, right? So there's the, the mass, the rosary, the, the prayer. That's the... Those are the, the spiritual tasks, so to speak, the discrete means that can be defined by the word, I am going to pump. I am going to mass. I am going to pray the rosary. I am, it's, it's a mm. But there is that side of, of, the spiritual, of the spiritual person that needs to be always in action. And so St. Josemaria would talk about aspirations, the little I love you's that we lift up to God. They can be, he says, as co-natural to us as the beating of our heart. So many ways of being able to develop that, many ways of being able to, just to be able to have reference to. And the one that the, the um, I just told your daughters uh, in, in today, I was talking about, um, there was a U.S. ambassador uh, to England. No, in England, yeah, it was it was a U.S. ambassador to England. I think his name was Mr. Was Coate, Mr. Coate, 
and there was a journalist that asked him, "What would you? Uh, who would you like to be if you were going? If uh, who would you like to be after you die if you could be born again?" Uh, you know, they, I, somebody was must have been a slow news day or something. But anyway, that's what they asked him, and and his immediate response was Mrs. Kuwait's second husband. Say, hmm, okay. Now that kiddo, that kiddo is over here, right? I mean, he's, he's got her on his mind, always. There's, there's an alwaysness to that relationship that, she, that he's, he's measuring his response always by her, right? And I can give you examples of my dad doing exactly the same thing. I remember one when he was going through Maza Gallery, and I, don't, I still can't remember what the heck we were doing in Maza Gallery because that was way over our budget. But anyway, we're going walking through the hallway there, and there was a salesman that kind of goes, hey, sir, have you noticed our 50% off rack? And, you know, they were these Hawaiian shirts or something like that. And Dad just kind of looked, and, and he just glanced over there, and he says, no, I don't think my wife would like to see me in any of that. And the guy persisted. He was a salesman. He's, he kind of persisted. Well, you know, sir, he kind of goes through these ideas. And I just remember it was, it was instinctive. It wasn't, um, it, 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 there was this moment. I will never forget the face of dad. I mean, I was a high school kid. It was, but it was just, it, it really struck me that dad was at the same time confused, um, wounded, genuinely wounded. There was, there was a definite... And, and, and kind of, and calculating, he's an engineer too. So, you know, you kind of see, he's trying to put the, he's kind of, you know, the, you know he said, I, and then I, I said, no, no, my statement, my wife would not, that's a, that's a, that's a full stop. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a definite conversation stopper. And so he turns and he just says, didn't you hear what I said? My wife would not like to see me in that. And the guy, I remember, kind of just, you know, disappeared under the wall-to-wall carpet. But it was, it was beautiful and seemed that, that this was instinctive. This was, it, it was, it proved to me that dad was always in mom's heart. That mom was always in his heart. That it was, that the two were one. And that comes from this looking for those little ways of saying, I love you to God all throughout the day. Um, your daughters all know about my pogs. It's a, one of the ways that you know, kind of being able to develop the, the, that, that presence of God. And, um, so. and then on the corporal side, because it's the person who prays. It's not just the spirit who prays. It's the person who prays. We have to have, we have, to have again, St. Josemaria uses the expression, as co-natural to us as the beating of our heart, mortifications, sacrifices that we're offering up. It's a sense of being able to go to the cross for others. The whole view of, of, of co-redeeming, where the whole adventure of love comes alive when we co-redeem, when we see that we have been called to co-redeem with Christ, to carry out the subjective redemption while he's carried out the objective redemption. It's just, it's, it's mind-bogglingly beautiful. If, and, and if we could, <laughs> if, if when we gave up our Snickers bar and we told God that, you know, this, I give up this so that, you know, so-and-so can have some graces, and, you know, and if we could see an arrow coming out of our heart and going into their heart, you know, just, especially at night when they glow, Kind of just, I mean, we would be looking for these mortifications. God, boy, she important. It'd be a light show, you know. Oh, somebody just got me. You know, kind of. It's just, it's. But it's no less real. It has to be kind of. And there's, we can easily be offering up mortifications constantly. And find the final quadrant is this one here of our work. Um, that the that what I am doing, the task that I am doing, can be my expression of love. And it it's, makes all the difference in the world, whether it is or is not, that expression of love to God and love of others. Okay. So those are the four walls there of the interior life. And when we, when we build them, the Holy Spirit has room there to be able to, to, to pour His grace 
And as he pours his grace, he fills our wall. We become, we, we warm to the, to the life of the Holy Spirit. And we emanate that grace and we are apostolic. It's just mostly by our deeds, right? It's no put on. It's not a, the prelate of Opus Dei right now is really, he's trying to, to remind us there that we're not, it's not about doing apostolate. It's about being apostolic. It's the same sense of, of rather than do, become, that we become other Christ, that we become the vessel that the Holy Spirit can fill, and we emanate the warmth of the Holy Spirit, the one who does apostolate, the only one who has influence in the hearts of others, the only one who can touch hearts, is the Holy Spirit. Without him, it's not going to happen. But he's not going to be able to come into our hearts if we pop a hole in one of our walls, right? If we're not careful to protect that, the, the, the heart, right? Um, so developing the interior life, we say that, that kind of one of the frames that I give to the girls when they come for spiritual direction, I give to anybody who comes for spiritual direction, is this idea there that we only have enough masons to work on one wall at a time. But if we look and see those four walls and we kind of identify those four walls, we can, we can have a greater, a greater ease in just in seeing where our heart lies and saying, well, this is the wall that I need to be working on or this is the wall that I'd like to be working on. This is the wall that needs to be worked on at the moment, right? But always going around the four walls and in an integral kind of way, building them up in unison, right? There was, there was one episode where I remember the, there was um, this, this woman was coming out of the Eucharistic adoration at St. Vincent's in, in Houston. And I remember I was going in to preach a, a, a women's morning recollection. And, and I later came to, to, to find out that she had been in, in there for a couple of hours in the Eucharistic adoration. And I just remember she came out and, and there was this, there were, I don't know what exactly happened, but she just was reaming somebody out inside the parking lot. I mean, you know, expletives coming out all over the place. It was, I mean, it was, it was a definite lack there of all the walls. <laughs> I mean, it was one wall had been built up in Eucharistic adoration. It was unsupported, and it came come trembling down, right? Um, so, but it's very important we recognize we have one heart, right? So those four walls, the heart exists, is the person exists, whether it's with your spouse or with God. And there are the same things when we talk about the plan of life with God. There's a plan of life there with your wife, too. Right? You just try forgetting her anniversary. You'll realize that there was a plan of life there, and you blew it. I mean, there are certain things that just, you know, that the, the schedule, the meals together, the things like that, that just kind of, there's a rhythm in life that has to be there. And if it isn't, then, then love will diminish. Um, there's... There are aspirations in, in, with your wife. There have to be those aspirations, too, the I love yous, right? Well, I just tell her I love you or in my heart. I mean, it doesn't cut it, guys. I mean, you know, we know that. It's got to be verbalized, too. There have to be the text messaging. There has to be the, the glancing at her image on, on, on your desk. I mean, if I ever come across a dad that doesn't have an image of his wife on his desk, I know right away that marriage is in deep, deep doo-doo, all right? I mean, there's, there's got to be. Because, you know, there's little aspirations. Um, mortifications, there are tons of mortifications in marriage. <laughs> this is the thing that happens when, when, when kids get married. There's the, after about three years, the guy is still trying to go out with the boys, you know, and, and, and trying to, you know, you kind of say, you know, dude, it doesn't work that way anymore. You're married, all right? I mean, you, you, you don't... Um, there are sacrifices that come up. There's, and 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 you have to listen to her. You know, I, I tell the women when I when I that there are going to be times when your husband doesn't want to listen to you, and they're kind of huh. And, but but it's true. I know there are times when you don't. But it, and but it's just part of love. It, you you have to. It's just and that's a mortification. It's just because that's the way love is. I'm. It's not about me. It's about the person that I love. It's entering into her will. It's entering into God's will, right? And and virtues. I mean, there's plenty of virtues in in, in family life. There are things there that just to make it work. Um, plenty of areas for growth. 
Um, I remember Mike, my oldest brother, he had, um, he was, uh, so in my, in, in our family, the, there are six boys, four girls. In Mike's family, it's, it's four boys, it's four girls, two boys. So Mike oftentimes would tell me that, you know, I think God did that just so I couldn't learn anything from dad. <laughs> because the dynamic is totally different. I mean, it's just totally different. Um, you know, in, one, in one year, we broke 13 windows in, our, in, in, in the house. Um, you know, that doesn't happen in Mike's house. Um, so anyway. So there are things, there are ramrods that can come in there. I think one of the big things that we're becoming more and more aware of is just how deadly the smartphones are. And I would definitely, just as a practical point, I would recommend that, that um, you know, I've dumbified my smartphone just so I have the moral authority to be able to say this. You know, it's just the, the distractions involved in smartphones is killing interior lives of adults and certainly of younger kids. I would never give, I, I would strongly advise against giving a smartphone to anyone under 21. Because the prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop in guys until after that. Which means that he doesn't even have, he doesn't even have, he doesn't have the equipment to be able to resist the impulses, right? Um, and, and I've oftentimes referred to, I mean, this isn't even necessarily getting into the whole area of pornography, which is another whole, I mean, I could go on to that for, but just in terms of just the impulsiveness, the, it's finding more and more evidence there that it's just, it's deadly for the interior life and it's deadly for school life. I mean, I'm, you know, um, dumbify or just don't even have, it's, um, Aspirations, there's, and again, there's that negativity that comes in there. It's just, you know, anything churning around that distracts us from those aspirations, just turn to the aspirations. And, because love is now, it's not in the past. It's love is now. God is the ever-present now, right? So he's talking about, can you love right now? And you say, yes, I can do that. Um, mortifications, the daydreaming, all that kind of stuff, the work, um, so Dr. Kevin Majors is, is um, doing all kinds of interesting research and, and a psychiatrist. Um, one of the things that he has found that is basically at the root of many of the anxiety problems and addictions and all kinds of things can be cured with just good work habits, just learning how to work and finding the joy of a job well done. Um, so, you know, that whole area. But I think, you know, it's love takes that all in frame. You have to be all in when you're looking at it. It's it, any, anybody who is going to settle for not offending their wife, <laughs> I can tell you, <laughs> it's just not gonna last, right? It's, you know, so we can't, with God, play that, well, I'm just going to worry about not, no mortal sins. And, you know, it doesn't work that way, kid. It's, you know, we've got to go beyond. It's all in is what he's looking for. Love just, it's just the way that love works. I'm going to skip this. This is, but it's, this is the way that, that God talks about it, right? It's just, and I'm afraid that when I was doing this, I was new with PowerPoint, and I didn't realize just what these buttons did and how long they would take to go through. Um, but, you know, so yeah, kind of bear with me a little bit there as they go through. And, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's everything. He's looking for everything. Um, this was for the women. Um, but, you know, I, I think we can... For the emotions, the key thing there is that the emotions are accelerators. They're neither bad nor good. Um, depends if they're going in the right direction. If they're going in the right direction, bring them in. If they're not, then leave them out. Um, so the idea is trained emotions. They asked me on the, for the seniors to, to give a meditation on training emotions. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Because it's much better for us to be sitting on an old mare going in the right direction than on a, on a stallion without reins, right? 
Um, so there's always going to be room for us to have interior mortifications of the imagination, of the will, the memory. Um, just not let it go in places that are taking us away from our love. That's all. How do we know if the emotions are good? St. Paul sums it up there. Look at our deeds. If the deeds are, you know, that's how we know if our emotions are good. How do we know if our emotions are bad? If they're leading us down the other line, right? So, pretty clear. But this is a slide that, this is for everybody here, right? Negativity is a sin against faith. I am willing to say that. You can, we can argue, I'd love the argument. But it's basically negativity is saying that God doesn't know what he's doing. So it's a sin against faith. It's a sin against hope because we're denying God's ability to, to, to lead everything, everyone to him. And it's a, certainly a sin against charity because it's a vote of no confidence for God. So there's just simply no room. What do we pray about? I can see that I've lost almost all of you. So um, I will end right in this. But it's journaling. I'm a big fan of journaling. Helps Americans. Um, you read something from the gospel, and you write to God about that, right? What you're seeing in it. It's his word and then your word. Beautiful conversation. Opens your heart to many good things, right? Persevering in mortification is the, the concept of just co-redeeming. Just look at co-redeeming. Look at what that is and how beautiful that is. And mortification becomes a natural part of our life. To persevere in aspirations, there's all kinds of human reminders. If you need help identifying some, you can ask your daughter or you can ask me. Um, and persevering in work is have the big dreams. I mean, recognize what it is that... that we have in our work an opportunity for us to be able to be growing like Christ, which is awesome. And then to persevere in the plan of life is just be humble and, and, and recognize the mystery there of, of, co of, of the whole mystery of love that God is inviting us to. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Oakcrest School. To subscribe to our podcast channel, visit oakcrest.org.